does 72 months, that's six years, no interest financing? Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, that's who. Just order by May 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. 83 degrees. Summer is here and not a day too soon. All right. The final Jeopardy answer is 25. 25. Mike Spaulding, before you leave, would you like to take a guess? 25. That's the answer. What is the question? I have no idea. You have no Okay, I get it. I, I understand. It, and it could be any number of things. It could be good things. It could be bad things. It is a reality. The final Jeopardy answer is 25. The question is, and I swear I'm not making this up, How many cars are stolen daily in the city of Milwaukee? 25. Now, you might be saying, Jeff, that cannot be. 25 cars a day stolen in the city of Milwaukee? I mean, I think about this. When I I saw that number, the, the neighborhood that I live in has 27 individual residences, 27. That would be like each one of us having our car stolen every day of the year. 25 cars a day stolen. The the raw numbers are even more staggering. It's reported by the Journal Sentinel. Let me pull them out here. All right. As of yesterday, as of yesterday, which would have been May 20th, so we're, we're not even halfway through the year yet. As of May 20th, 3,524 cars have been reported stolen in the city of Milwaukee. Now, let me give you some perspective. Last year, 2020, there was an all-time record number of cars that were stolen in the city of Milwaukee. All-time record. For the whole year, 4,510 vehicles were stolen, and that was an all-time record. This year... We're not even halfway through the year, and already there's 3,524 cars stolen. So in other words, last year was an all-time record, and this year, five months in, all right, five and a half months in, we are already 75% of the way towards the all-time record last year. The numbers this year are up 180% when compared with the same time last year. Bottom line is, if you, if you own a car in Milwaukee, you know, and you don't have a garage that you can lock uh, it up in, you know, I'm telling you something, you know, your chances of coming out in the morning and finding that car still on the street, well, I, I don't want to say they're slim to none, but they are not great. 25 cars a day stolen. Now, the type of cars that are stolen most often are, are late model Kias and Hyundais because what, what can happen is, I guess, if you cave in the rear window, you can get in without setting off the car alarm. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, the police department, and I don't fault the police for this necessarily, they came out and their solution was to say, all right, we're going to um, go through it. We're going to have a pilot program where we're going to give free anti-theft devices, those clubs 
we're going to give free anti-theft devices to, to people who, who request them. So this is the city of Milwaukee's answer to the out-of-control crime problem with car thefts. It's, well, we're, we're going to give you the club and hope that slows down car thieves. And when we talked about this before, a number of people called up and said that that's all you do because car thieves know how to circumvent the club and there's ways that you can get around that in 30 seconds if you're prepared and stuff like that. But 25 cars a day stolen from the mean streets of Milwaukee. And as we have talked about before, I think, unfortunately, the the powers that be and and whether and I'm not talking about the cops, but the, the cops, there's so many car thefts nowadays. Good luck getting somebody to investigate it. I mean, if you're if you're carjacked at gunpoint, that that's fine. But if if you just come out and somebody's stolen your car, good luck trying to get that investigated because it's happening so often. They just don't have the resources to do it, which further just emboldens the car thieves. And then, of course, what happens is once you get caught caught for car theft, you are essentially just slapped on the wrist. As a general rule, the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office will not waive juveniles who have stolen cars, including stolen multiple cars. They won't waive them into adult court. Juvenile judges won't do anything to the would-be junior car thieves. And circuit court judges do little or nothing to the people that are stealing fifteen and $20,000 cars on a regular basis. Essentially, it's almost a get-out-of-jail-card-free. And it's sort of like, hey, this is Escape from New York. You want to rip off cars. You want to steal cars. Well, it's no big deal. Part of the attitude I think some people have is that, well, car it's a pain if you get your car stolen, but, you know, you've got insurance. Yes, you'll be inconvenienced, but it's not like you were murdered. It's not like you were assaulted. It's just a car. That's the thinking that's going on there. But, of course, it's a lot more than that. Your car is stolen. You're violated in that fashion. It's going to increase the expenses of your insurance. If you live in Milwaukee, it's going to increase the the value. Other people having their cars stolen increases your insurance for, again, having a car in these particular areas. And it's 25 cars a day, and nobody has any real solution to this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's where it starts. It starts by locking up the car thieves, whether it's a juvenile who boosts a car to either use it to take it on a joyride or to use it as a rolling drug house or whatever. It doesn't matter. There, there should be a, a one-strike-and-you're-out policy on this. And by that, I mean first time you steal a car, you are held accountable. And, and maybe it means sending you to Lincoln Hills. If you are 16 or 17 and you've done it on multiple occasions, it means waving you to, into adult court. If you're an adult and you do this, you go to jail. We are we refuse to put people in jail for crimes nowadays. Well, how are you going to build the prisons? We're sending too many types of people to to prison. This type of person or that type of person to prison. No, we're not. We're not sending enough. If you if you want to stop car theft, you shouldn't put the onus on people. Here, you have to lock up your car. You have to have a club, or you know you can't leave your car on the street. Now, I understand there's some common sense, smart things like you know keep your doors locked, and nowadays you know don't leave the keys in the car or don't leave the car running because, especially on the mean streets of Milwaukee, you you know it's going to be gone in 60 seconds. But as far as this notion that somehow it's your responsibility, and we're just throwing up our hands and allowing people to steal cars, I say nuts to that. 
25 cars stolen a day, 3,500 cars stolen in Milwaukee in the first five and a half months. That's first four and a half months. Sorry, first four and a half months of the year. That's crazy. Where is the outrage? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, statistically, most crimes are committed with a stolen car. Why don't the police start a task force to go after the car thieves? I mean, I don't know about that. It sounds right. I mean, one of the reasons that people steal cars is they use them to commit other crimes. And yeah, I, the best answer I can give you as to why the police don't go after car thieves is because they know that when they catch car thieves, nothing happens to the car thieves. It is not a priority in the city of Milwaukee. The judges don't do anything about it. The DA's office doesn't do anything about it as a general rule. And the car thieves are just, if they're caught and if they're prosecuted, they're put on probation or double secret probation or triple secret probation, and they're out there stealing cars again because this is not considered a big deal. Well, my point is, at 25 cars a day that are being stolen, and some of these cars... I mean, I know what what is grand theft? I mean, what 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 is, what is grand theft? I mean, you're talking about some cars that my guess is are worth twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. They're they're being stolen, and we do nothing about it. I mean, at what point in time do people rise up and say enough is enough? Now, right now, this is primarily a problem in the city of Milwaukee, but just like we've seen other problems in the city of Milwaukee that quickly spread. Mark my words, this is going to start happening in the suburbs as well. The big difference is, I don't think in the suburbs, particularly particularly outside of Milwaukee County, the residents and law enforcement are going to put up with it. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Marge in Muskego. Marge, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Marge. What's up? What do you think? Um, I think that it's an issue. My daughter's a teacher on the south side of Milwaukee, and sitting in her classroom, the office ladies came in and said, somebody just took your car right at 2.30 afternoon. Crazy. And was she parked like on the school grounds, or I mean, or in the school parking lot, or something like that? In a school park, in a school parking lot, it's got a fence around it. There's probably a ten foot opening for the, you know, employees to get in and out. These guys just walked in. Two guys took our car right in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> I, I, and then, sorry, they no. found it the next day, but you know, the back window smashed and. If things were taken out of the car that she had that she can't prove were in the car, so she's sure. out those items that are in her car as well. Sure, plus the, incon- yeah. the, plus the inconvenience, because yeah. she's going to be without her car for however long it <laughs> takes to get the whole thing repaired, not to mention... Not to mention what it does to you when, when you're, you're victimized in that way, the psychological effect it has of somebody coming in and robbing you. It's terrible, and people saw it happen, well, so it's hard to explain. Well, and, it, and, and it was drop-off and pick-up when kids were getting picked up, um, you know, at the end of the day for school. So there was parents around, there were kids around. They just brazenly walked in and took the car. Right. And, and just, and, and of course, and the thanks to call Mars. And see, th- th- that underscores, I think, one of the frustrations. And it, it's really what caught my attention when I see this story. The, the, the thieves are so damn brazen. There, there, there is no concern at all about consequences. That's why you have somebody come and, and steal a car 
off, in this case, you know, off a school parking lot at 2.30 in the afternoon when there's all sorts of people around. They, they, they do it because they know that, first of all, they're, they're probably not going to be tracked down. And again, I'm, this is not a criticism of the police department. There is so many car thefts that it's just they've been absolutely overwhelmed in that regard. But again, the frustration, too, with the car theft thing is even if you catch them, you know that nothing is going to happen. I mean, my question, and I guess it's a rhetorical one, but how much more of this crap are people going to put up with in the city of Milwaukee? What do you pay your taxes for, really, if it's not to have some degree of protection? And if, if the best response that you can get from authorities is, well, here, we'll give you a free club. <laughs> okay, who wants to live in an area like that? And and the fact that you know people talk about this, but all everybody does is wring their hands. The DA says, well, you know, the juvenile justice judges need to get a little bit tougher, but nobody's calling out people. The juvenile court system, for example, is secret, so you, you really don't get to find out what goes on and how unaccountable these punks are held. Let's talk to uh, Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Um, I think something that people might not look or might not understand is that a lot of this, a high percentage of this is just joyrides. It's like they're not really doing it necessarily like to strip a car. They're not doing it um, with any kind of... um, um, higher, um, yeah, well, it's some, right, some, you know, right, summer, summer joy rides like the, the gal who just called her, you know, her daughter and they find it the next day kind of robbed. But others are, are cars that are used for drug dealing and things like that. And some are stripped and sold for parts. So it, it's, it's, it's an epidemic of all sorts of different things. Sure. But, but obviously, I mean, because they're not prosecuting these people, they're not putting them in, um, Jail, they they've sim- they make they've simplified it where it it can become yeah just a normal behavior yeah with no uh, no uh, accountability and um, right no price to pay. And and don't think I mean, they, they, no and Bob and thanks for the call don't and don't think people don't know that 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 message is out there the young people know that and because we're not talking about carjackings now which are different where you you, know, you use force or violence that's a different category I'm not saying that we're overly aggressive in that but this is just the, the routine car thefts you you see somebody's car parked in a teacher's parking lot at two thirty in the afternoon and you decide we're going to take it and so you you do and it's gone in sixty seconds where the, there's not the violence against the person. In the city of Milwaukee, they've pretty much thrown up their hands and saying we're not doing anything about it. You know, I had to laugh in the story in the Journal Sentinel. They've got a state representative from Chicago who's introducing a bill that would bar the sale of violent video games like Grand Theft Auto. I, 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 I'm sorry, you, you can't see me on the radio, but it, that, that, that's an involuntary eye roll. I mean, all right, the, the reason... The thugs and the punks are stealing 25 cars a day off the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee is not because people play Grand Theft Auto. It's because they can do it and nobody is doing anything about it. And how long will you put up with that? Bill in West Bend. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Bill. All 3,000 people stealing a car every day. Where in the world are you going to put these people? I mean, you, you can't build a prison big enough to put to put them all in. So I, I'd love to see it happen, but it isn't going to happen. And a quick story, a friend of mine had his car stolen from uh, the cops found it in Milwaukee 
five days later, and it had one of those Uber lights in it. So okay. the people who stole the car actually used it for Uber. So for the guy that just called that said they're just joyriding, some some of these guys are using it to make money. Oh yeah, no, no, thank, thanks for calling. No, and there's no also there's there's no question about it. I mean, one of the other big things, and if you talk to cops, they'll tell you about it. Is 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 mobile drug houses? I mean, drug dealers use the stolen cars to drive around and they sell dope out of them. It, it's not. Now, back when I was a drug prosecutor and stuff, you, you'd, you'd rent apartments and things like that, and that's where you'd keep the drugs. Nowadays, it's not. You're operating out of stolen cars, and you've got the cell phones, and then it, it's tougher for the police to catch. And there, there's all sorts of other things as well. It's the joyriding. It's the reckless driving. It's using it in other crimes. It, it's all those different things. I guess my, my response to you, Bill, is I'm not ready to give up. I mean, and I, I understand the very real concern. All right, if, if you caught now, I I don't believe. First of all, there's 3,500 cars that have been stolen thus far in the city of Milwaukee. 3,500 in four and a half months. Now, my guess is there's not 3,500 separate car thieves. My guess is the reality is that many of those cars are being stolen by by by, by the same person. I mean, I, I don't know it. It's just my my sense that you know it, it's not just hey I've just stolen one. My guess is you're going to find though maybe instead of stealing one, you, you catch somebody they probably stole ten or fifteen. So it's a smaller number. I appreciate the idea that well how can you lock them up? Well, my response is how can you not lock them up? I mean, how can you not lock them up? Don't we have to do something to, if nothing else, send a message that this is going to be something that we're serious about? And, and look, I don't live in the city of Milwaukee anymore. I, I did a long time ago. But, you know, and, and even back then, I didn't park my car in the street. I was fortunate enough to live in an apartment complex where you, you know, you, you had underneath parking and things like that. So it's not impossible your car could be stolen, but it's it's made less likely. But I will tell you something, as somebody who occasionally will go down and, and, and patronize restaurants in the city of Milwaukee or go to things in the city of Milwaukee in the downtown area or in other areas, I, I am now honest to goodness, and I'm not trying to be you know overly dramatic about this, I am sitting here thinking, what am I going to do with my car? And you know, I don't have that worry when I go to other areas around southeastern Wisconsin. So now it's a real question. Gee, do you want to go down and do you want to you want to go to such and such a restaurant? Well, where are you going to park? Well, normally, you know, there's plenty of on-street parking. Well, knowing that 25 cars are stolen a day, that is just something that I think about. It's something that all sorts of people think about. And that's just from somebody who's coming in and thinking about, parsh, you know, trying to spend some money in the city of Milwaukee, going to a restaurant or something like that. I can only imagine what it's like for people who live in the city of Milwaukee who have to you know park their cars on the street night after night and apparently just cross their fingers and hope that in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee when they wake up in the morning their car is still there or when they come out from work and they go and look at the parking lot that's not a subject of an armed guard their car is still there how much more of this will people put up with back with more in just a minute Jeff Wagner on WTMJ There are heroes of, oh no, we've, we're already done with that. The Brew Crew in the palm of your hand. If you live in Milwaukee, Waukesha, Washington, Ozaki, and Racine County, you can now listen to the Brewers on WTMJ's mobile app or at WTMJ. 
WTOP.com. Bob Euchre and the Brewers. Now, easier for you to enjoy on your phone or computer, download the WTMJ mobile app today. All right. Uh, during the, the break, uh, we, we, there was an ad for the appearance of Stacey Abrams. She's going to be at the Riverside Theater sometime in September. For those of you who don't know who she is, she was a member of the Georgia legislature who has been active in, in quote-unquote, voting rights. I put air quotes in that. Ran unsuccessfully for the governor of Georgia a couple years ago. Um, she's now gained national prominence. She's given credit for helping uh, George, helping swing Georgia to to the Democrats in the 2020 election. She, she is an interesting woman. Um, she's written uh, a couple political the- political thrillers and stuff. So she's coming for an evening and a conversation at the Riverside Theater um, in September. And uh, Stacey Abrams is not my cup of tea, but but doesn't matter. I mean, if if you want to go see her, I, I think that's great. I think you should have a right to do it. I think people should have the right to spend their money however they see fit. And if you want to go see her and, and listen to the stuff and pay money to do it, that that's fine. This is a, it is a it is a free country, and I do not think you should be criticized for that. And I certainly don't think that you know anybody should be saying to the Riverside Theater, no, you you shouldn't have her and you shouldn't have an event like this. And I don't think anybody would, which raises the question about if that's how people feel about somebody like Stacey Abrams coming to to Milwaukee, and I think that we should. Uh, Great. If you want to go see her, go see her. Why is it that so many people are so afraid and so obsessed and so disturbed when other people, for example, want to write books? Now, the story I want to start with involves the former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. Now, I understand maybe for you, Mike Pence is not your cup of tea. Maybe you love him. Maybe you don't. Maybe you view that Mike Pence is just a, a toady for former President Trump. Maybe you don't feel he was loyal enough. I don't know. You know, you, you have all sorts of ways that you can feel about Mike Pence. But he is the former vice president of the United States. He had a very, very interesting career in public service, including as as a governor in Indiana, and then later on as, as the vice president. And he certainly had an interesting position, a a bird's eye view, if you will, of some very interesting times of the Trump administration. So here's the deal. What happened is he, like many, many, many former politicians, after he leaves office, he he wants to write a memoir, wants to write a book about his, his life in politics and his life in the Trump administration. And Lord knows that over the last four years, there's been enough tell-all books about the Trump administration, the vast majority of which have been been critical of the Trump administration. You know, somebody works for a year or two and then leaves or gets fired or whatever, and they write their sort of political tell-all thing, and they try to make some money on it. Well, anyhow, here's the deal. Um, Simon & Schuster, which is a a big book publisher, they cut a deal to... um, to, to essentially, they, they paid Mike Pence to, to do a, a book. And it's going to be, again, a memoir of his life and politics and the Trump administration. So they announced that here, this is, this is Mike Pence. We've hired Mike Pence. We, you know, we're going to do this book by him. Big story in the Wall Street Journal today about how last month there was a mini revolt. There was a mini revolt at Simon and Schuster by people who were upset that Simon and Schuster would dare would dare to publish a book by former Vice President Mike Trump, Mike Pence. Here, here's some of the comments. This is what the Wall Street Journal says about it. Publishing the book, some staffer said, would be a betrayal 
of the company's promises to oppose bigotry and make minority employees feel safe. A petition soon followed, signed by more than 200 staff members, or 14% of the staff, plus about 3,500 outside supporters, including various Simon & Schuster authors. It demanded that the publishing company scrap the Pence memoir, part of a two-book deal, and refrain from making any deals with any members of the Trump administration. It said that Mr. Pence advocated for policies that were racist, sexist, and discriminatory, and that publishing the book would be legitimizing bigotry. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the latest step in the cancel culture that's there. Publishers who are saying, look, I, this, it's a, it's the, in this case, it's the former vice president or, you know, other people who had an interesting perspective on history. You know, we're, we're going to pay him to write books because we think that there's a lot of people out there who are going to buy the books. And at the end of the day, we're in the business of, of selling books. But you have a number of employees and a number of people on the left who are saying, how dare you do that? How dare you sign Mike Pence to a book deal? Don't you know he was part of that evil Trump administration? And by the way, by paying him money, you are endorsing bigotry, and you are creating a hostile workplace. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The bigotry of the cancel culture, to me, is absolutely staggering. This stuff, and and it's, it's amazing to me that people don't recognize this, for everybody that appropriately denounced the blacklist in the 50s, and this is McCarthyism, etc., and you had people that were, were told that they couldn't make a living in Hollywood or, or elsewhere because they had ties, real or imagined, to the Communist Party. This, this is what we are seeing in 2021 from the unhinged left. It is the cancel culture that is out there saying, how dare you sign somebody like Mike Pence to a book deal because you would just be endorsing bigotry and this would be showing completely inconsistent with our company's values. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't care if you're interested in reading a book by Mike Pence or not. I don't care if you're interested in going to a talk given by Stacey Abrams or not. doesn't make any difference. Don't they have the right to do it? Should somebody like the former vice president be canceled? My answer is not just no, but heck no. We discuss in a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And and by the way, the the conversation about the attempts to cancel Mike Pence, and if you're just tuning in, um, he he cut a deal for for memoirs, two, two books, um, with, with Simon and Schuster's. And there's been this huge out, outcry. Hundreds of Simon and Schuster employees ha- have filed a petition demanding that they, they cancel the contract, saying that to publish a book by Mike Pence would be a betrayal of the company's promises to oppose bigotry. It would make minority employees feel unsafe. I mean, how unhinged does this stuff get? And, and by the way, we're, we're talking about Mike Pence and other members of the Trump administration. But you know, you know what the elephant in the room is: is what what about when Donald Trump himself goes to sell, to cut, a, cut a book deal for his memoirs? Can you imagine the screaming about that? Oh, people shouldn't be able to read a book by Donald Trump. Oh my gosh, that would just be absolutely terrible. And, and my response is: people should be able to read what they want. And, and if people want to pay. 
to buy a book by Mike Pence, they should be able to do that. And publishers, I mean, Mike Pence was the vice president of the United States, and publishers should be free to publish his memoir. People should be free to buy it, and employees and some of the cancel culture um, should not be allowed to say, we're going to try to put pressure on publishing companies to censor them. And it's amazing to me that people on the left, or at least some people on the left, don't understand that this this is the new McCarthyism. And maybe it's because they're the ones that are doing it, and they're the ones that feel threatened by a memoir from the former vice president. But at what point in time does this need to end? Um, Jeff, Simon & Schuster needs to take some advice from the CEOs of other companies who basically told employees that they're there to sell stuff and make a profit, not to engage in social and political discussions. And if they don't like it, they can quit, which that that is exactly right. If, If you are so offended by the fact that your company that you work for, in this case, a company whose business is publishing books, that they've cut a deal with an author, then that author is controversial and you're just offended by that offer, the fact that that offer, author might write something. Well, then it, you have every right to simply say, okay, fine, I'm going to I'm going to walk out the door and I'm going to sell my services somewhere else. Jeff, I don't have a problem with anyone writing a book, but I also don't have a publisher problem with a publishing company deciding who they want to publish. In any event, a book written by Pence would definitely have to fall in the fiction category since he couldn't catch the truth like everyone else. Okay, well, th- that's fine. You don't like Mike Pence? Don't buy the book. I, I respect that. Um, you don't like Stacey Abrams? Don't pay money to go see her at the Riverside Theater. But I don't think people should be saying to the Riverside Theater, you don't have a right or you shouldn't be giving her a forum. Jeff, people are just too sensitive. No debate any longer. If people disagree, they feel you're wrong, and then the name-calling starts. Jeff, I'm not a fan at all of Trump. I'm not a Trump-Pence supporter, but I would buy this book. I'm more appealed because I know there was a fallout between Trump and Pence towards the end of the presidency, and Mike Pence did not often speak. Regardless of your position on him, he was the vice president, therefore etched in American history. To silence the history is dangerous and unfair. You know, let him speak. And, and by the way, there are a number of people out there who I think view Mike Pence as a serious contender for the presidency in, in two years. But now we're going to try to censor that. And again, I, I don't know who's going to I don't know who's going to be the nominee for the presidency in three years, 2024. Don't know who's going to do that. Don't know if he's going to run. But yeah, as the former sitting vice president, yes, I, I think he would have a degree of a cachet. And the fact that there are some people out there who are just so freaked out. Oh, we, we, we can't by even allowing him to, you know, write his book and us publishing it. Oh, this would be er- terrible. And we'd have some employees that would feel unsafe. You really want to say, hey, Snowflake, get over yourself if that's the position. Jeff, well, Mike Pence was not my cup of tea. Although I might read the book if my library has it, I won't buy it. Fair enough. I respect that. The texture continues. But these employees and folks protesting the publishing of the book are way off base. Yes, absolutely. Schuster's has every right to make a buck off of publishing it if they feel that they can. Now, here's the other thing that's out there. And apparently, while these protests about Mike Pence was going on, Simon & Schuster's was also in the process of inking a deal with Kellyanne Conway. 
Kellyanne Conway. Now, so if you want to talk about, you know, throwing gas on the fire, because, of course, she she wasn't the sitting vice president. She was one of the flamethrowers. I think we had her on the program once or twice. And I, I she's got a very, very interesting perspective. And I, I quite candidly, I would sort of be curious. I I would probably buy a book by Kellyanne Conway just because I, I'd want to see what her perceptions are and how she viewed the fishbowl that she was in during those years and, and some of the behind the scenes stuff. But just because I would be interested in buying it doesn't mean that you should you know have to buy it if you don't want. But the underlying point is, shouldn't you have a right to do it? And if the company decides we can make money by selling the book, and it's not like we're publishing a book by a convicted axe murderer or a child molester or anything like that, we're publishing a book by, in this case, you know, a political figure who was associated with the former president of the United States, uh, a president who, while he did not win the last election, nevertheless got tens of millions of votes. Well, you know, shouldn't people have the right to do that? And if they think they can make money on it, shouldn't they have the right to sell the book? And the answer is clearly yes. And the irony that you have people out there who don't see don't see the people that are that are standing there and maybe when they were kids they were marching for free speech and all that type of stuff and they don't recognize now that what they're trying to do by using the cancel culture is to silence people and i understand the first amendment applies to government not private businesses but it's the same sort of thing let's try to cancel people let's try to censor people because we don't like them or we don't like what they might have to say wow back with more in just a minute This is Jeff Wagner. I guess in Milwaukee County, now we're not talking about the dysfunctional city, we're talking about Milwaukee County, the policy is we're going to follow the science, except when the science doesn't support what our gut feeling says, in which case we're going to ignore the science, which brings us to the latest pronouncement from David Crowley, who is the Milwaukee County Executive. Uh, last week, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, said vaccinated people do not need to wear masks indoors. And as a result of that, many areas around the country have dropped their mask rules. It, that is, you don't need to wear masks indoors if you are fully vaccinated. City of Milwaukee while they're dragging their feet on this, they've said, OK, June 2nd, you know, we're, we're going to amend our policy. Dane County, of all people, the People's Republic of Madison, they're they're dropping their their requirement on June 2nd, as a matter of fact, into this then wades the Milwaukee County executive, David Crowley. He has announced that for the foreseeable future, Milwaukee County will not be relaxing its indoor mask mandate. Milwaukee County will continue to require masks inside its facilities. Um, so if you are, if you are going into an indoor facility, um, you will be required to wear a mask. That includes private indoor events on county property. Private indoor events on county property. It includes the airport. So if you're going through Mitchell Park, Mitchell, at Mitchell Field, you, you, you've got to wear a mask indoors, even if you have been vaccinated. But it gets better. It also includes, again, other county recreation type of facilities. So I presume that means that if you are going to, um, 
For example, if you're playing golf and, and you go into the, the clubhouse at Brown Deer Park, you are going to be required to wear a mask. If you go to indoors at the county zoo, you'll have to wear a mask. If you go into the courthouse, count other county park buildings, you're going to have to wear a mask even if you're vaccinated. Now, the science, of course, says you don't have to do that. That the CDC says once you're vaccinated, no more need to do it. Most places across the country are following the science and they're dropping the indoor mask requirements. Milwaukee County, after telling us follow the science for the better part of a year, now says, well, never mind on that. We understand what the science says, but we're going to do it our own way, which means you continue to wear masks when you go into the county property. I'm just saying you can't have it both ways. We've been told for a year that you got to follow the science. Now when the science changes and you have people that don't like that, then they just decide to ignore the science. Which is it? Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Mike Spaulding, that, that roar that, that you heard go up about 9 o'clock last night was my team. Every, every month, there, there's a, a restaurant we go to, they have a trivia contest. And so last night... The, the team that I was a part of, uh, um, we won the trivia contest. Oh, congratulations. It, it was. Uh, the team was Kathy's World, and it was my friends uh, Paul and Jill and Mike and Kathy and Patty and Alan and Fran and I, and it, we only won by a point, but but we won we won the trivia contest. How do you guys separate your team? Do you have Jeff is the pop culture guy, you have Phil who does this, do you separate no, like that? No, no, no. It's anybody who has an answer, you know, kind of kind of weighs okay. in, but then we we sort of negotiate. Matter of fact, I got, I got, <laughs> well, it, it, this happened, I, I got... I got talked out of an answer that was right, and, and then, of course, then everybody... See, that's the problem. If somebody has an answer and you talk them out of it, then you get ready to get abused yes, all night yes. because that, that happened. <laughs> there, there was a question. I had the answer, but I wasn't positive of it, and my friend Alan, he was, no, that can't be right, and then it turned out that I was right. And then the crowd, the team did kind of break bad on Alan the rest of the night. Okay, so here, here's here's that question. Um, Aretha Franklin made the song Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Mm-hmm. She made that a hit, but it was... Was actually, it was actually first cut by a deceased Motown singer uh, two years earlier. Who who was that soul singer, de- deceased oh, singer? I have no idea. I knew it. It was Otis Redding. Sitting, really, Otis? Yeah. See, and I said Otis Redding, and then like my friend Alan says, "Oh, it, it, a man wouldn't sing that song." I said, "No, I think it was Otis Redding." I thought I'd watched a documentary on Motown, and I thought I'd remembered that, but they they talked me out of it, and so we got off, you know. And so, but again, that's the problem when you talk somebody out of a right answer, you you get um, abused. Um, it was it was interesting. Um, okay, like here. Um, here were a couple of the other ones that other people got. Um, the Matterhorn is bordered by Switzerland and what other country? Uh, I did not know can this. I phone a friend. I Kyle, did. do you know? <laughs> Matterhorn is bordered by Switzerland and what other country? Norway? Yeah, no, no. Uh, I w- I'm thinking Belgium. No, it's Italy. But actually, my uh, Patty, my, my friend Patty, she immediately said Italy, and none of the rest of us. I, it was, I wasn't even tempted to try to talk her out of that because it's. She said, "No, it's, it's Italy," and nobody else had an idea. Um, all right, uh, this this is a a company whose. Um, let's see how do they how do they phrase it? Its slogan is imagination. You know what the slogan is? What company that is? Oh, is it uh Ooh, is it it's is it Pixar? 
No, General Electric. My friend oh, come Alan. On, no, Gen- GE, General Electric. My my friend Alan got that. I, I was I was thinking GE too. So he kind of made up for talking me out of um, Otis Ready. But we we had a number of that. All right, here's an, here's one. There are five states in the United States. Five states, two points apiece. Five states in the United States that have had volcanic eruptions since 1900. Name the five. Okay, Hawaii. Hawaii, yes. Washington. Mount St. Helens, yes, yep. that's two. Um, Wyoming? I said Wyoming. We were wrong. <laughs> I, no, I, I, right, I said, I was thinking like the, the Grand Canyon and stuff, and maybe that yeah. was, but, but no, I, I said Wyoming and Montana, or our team did. We were wrong. But uh, Washington, Hawaii, yes. California? Yes. I wanted to say California, and somebody else talked me out of California. But yes, California was one. I'm just trying to think of places with mountain, uh, Alaska? Alaska, yeah. Right. Look at the big brain on Mike's. That's four. Oh, uh, Utah? No, Oregon. West uh, Coast. You right. know, so right. Right. Yeah, five states. Sense. So California, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Hawaii. Those would be those five. Um, but everybody was out. But, but here, this is the one I'm proudest of because this is one that I got that nobody else in the room got. But it also kind of shows my, my misbegotten. My, my, you know, everybody else knows like geography, like that's Italy or, or that's that or this is it. Um, okay, this was the question. What 1968 science fiction movie featured astronauts named Taylor, Landon, and Dodge? Kyle is shaking. Yeah, I got, I, shaking. I got nothing. I, I want to say 2001, but that's not, nah, that's not right. That would have been the easy one, yeah, but yeah. It's, that wouldn't have been right. That was my guess as well. Um yeah. Oh gosh, I don't know. Uh, Planet of the Apes. Yes. See, I was so proud. That was it. I was sitting there, and and you have what they do is they give you the question, and then they play a song, and I just it was one where I put my head down because I I'm trying to think. I was trying to work back through this, and I'm thinking 1968 science fiction movie. I I and I I knew that there were three astronauts, and I thought Planet of the Apes came out around 1968. So I said Planet of the Apes. Only person in the room that had it. So. That, that that was five points for five. That was five points for the team. We won for, by one point. All right, I feel like I redeemed myself a little bit there after a tough start. Well, no, but it's <laughs> it's um it was but it, it was kind of fun. I I love doing that stuff. And actually, we had a a very good team, and everybody you know was was contributing, and we, we just we just had a lot of fun, and and we won. The team was called Kathy's World. And we won. What do you guys? A gift card? That's usually yeah. What it is, it's right? a, well, it's, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's a it's a buy one get one free card for dinner. So nice. you can go back and yeah, it's you know it's it's um and they give it out to each team member. So effectively, each couple get like two free dinners. So it kind of works out. It was it 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 was fun. I I we enjoyed it, but we we all contributed. We all came through. And um, as we were walking out, my wife said, "You're just you're a font of useless information." <laughs> you know what is it? She said, "I just I just marvel at what goes on in your mind and this obscure." stuff that you end up knowing and I said yeah I have and then I'm I'm sure she's thinking why is it that you can't remember what we're supposed to do on Tuesday but you know Planet of the Apes but anyhow we we had a we had a good time playing that and I encourage that I encourage people to do it it's always fun to do it if you haven't taken a chance all right when we come back let's go where angels fear to tread all right how are people adjusting to the new mask rules some people not well I'll explain we'll discuss stick around this is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I had a text from somebody, and I, I want to use this as a starting point for our next discussion. Jeff, I was out shopping at a number of stores yesterday in Milwaukee County, and even though all 
the businesses that I was in had updated signs that said masks are not required for fully vaccinated people. Nearly everyone, especially younger adults, still wore them regardless. I suspect it would be quite different in outlying counties. I think that's an interesting point because as somebody who has been fully vaccinated and who also had COVID-19, again, I'm, I'm a rules or rules guy. If the store says you got to wear the mask inside the store, I will wear the mask inside the store. If, however, it says masks are optional for the people who are vaccinated, I'm not wearing a mask. I, I just I've made that decision. I have done the responsible thing. Now, I understand that you don't necessarily know it's somewhat of an honor system. And there are people who haven't been vaccinated, who have no intention of getting vaccinated, who are probably all right, taking that same position and, and not wearing the masks. And the businesses aren't requiring, you know, ID cards or no proof of it or anything like that. So we, we now have this thing going on where people are are making the decision to go out in public or go into stores without masks. And there's other people who really don't don't trust them. And they're afraid to go anywhere or to come into contact with people who don't have their masks. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's a story in the Washington Washington Post that that talks about that the people who, even though they have been vaccinated, they do not feel comfortable going out in public without wearing their masks. One of the ladies they quote in the story says, I don't trust people. If they're not wearing a mask, how do I know it's because they have been vaccinated? And then it goes on to say that there's these people who, I guess, for for at least the foreseeable future, have no intention of going out in public without wearing masks themselves and are unhappy that other people are making the decision to go out in public without masks. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are you reluctant to go out in public without your mask, vaccinated or not? If you have been vaccinated, are you reluctant to go out in public wearing the mask? Do people look at you? Like I say, I mean, if the business says wear the mask, I'll wear the mask. Don't have a problem with that. But I don't like wearing masks. And I don't believe there's a need for me to wear masks. And so if it's not mandatory, I'm not doing it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, where are you on this? If the rules say you don't have to wear a mask, do you think you still should? Do you think other people still should because... Well, we really have no way of knowing for sure whether people have been vaccinated or not. I mean, I tell you I've been vaccinated, but, you know, I'm, I'm not on Twitter showing people my vaccination card. I guess somebody that sees me in public doesn't know for sure whether that's happened, but I know it's for sure. So, all right, should we be uncomfortable going maskless in public? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I went to two grocery stores today in Sheboygan. Neither required masks. I'd guess that about half at each wore masks, including employees. I have to say it was so wonderful seeing people's faces and being able to smile at each other. Everyone was in a great mood, and I didn't see anyone being respectful, disrespectful. Keep it up. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I told you the policy... There's a there's a place I, I patronize quite a bit, and their policy is for for patrons, it, it's the honor system. They, the, I mean, the, the rule is what the CDC says, but it is the honor system for their employees. 
the employees, um, if they've come in and they've shown proof that they're vaccinated, they don't have to wear masks, but the ones who haven't uh, do. Or, of course, anybody can voluntarily wear a mask. I mean, nothing's saying that you you don't have to. But for the employees, the employer is requiring proof of vaccination for them to go around and, and not wear the masks. And I, I think that's something that the employers have a right to do as well. Donnie in Burlington. Donnie, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, great topic. Um, you know, I had COVID in November. Uh, I just got my second vaccination last week. Um, I'm 100% anti-mask. However, I do abide by, you know, the store's rules or whatever. And I'm an outside sales rep. The problem is I'm going to a lot of different businesses in different jurisdictions, towns, and counties, and nothing is consistent. Mm-hmm. You see a mask sign on the door required, walk in and nobody else is wearing masks. It just, there, it seems like there's a lot of different mixed signals and, yeah. you know, maybe people just have it on a door to cover their butts almost, but. Well, or they um, haven't, or they I, haven't taken the sign down. I mean, I, I think that that's some of the places they haven't modified it or whatever, but no, I, I think there is a lot of, th- thanks for calling, Donnie. No, I think you're right. There, there is a lot of, I think, confusion right now as we, as we work through this. Now, ultimately, and I know it's going to upset some people, but ultimately we're, we're going to get rid of the government regulations and, and we're going to go back to a, a non-masked mandated society, which is, by the way, not to say that people shouldn't wear masks if they feel comfortable. Look, I, I've said this before. If you if you don't trust other people and you want to go out in public and, and you want to double mask and you want to wear goggles and gloves and a hazmat suit and a visor, my response is go with God. That That's okay. I, I don't care if that's how you want to go through life. That's not how I choose to go through life. And yes, I understand that there's a chance that even though I've been vaccinated and I've had COVID, I could get sick again. There's also a chance that I could get by hit by a meteor as I walk to my car in the parking lot. It's just a, a different position. Jeff, I just got back from Vegas over the weekend where I was required to wear a mask the whole time. What a relief to not have to wear a mask at the local pick and save yesterday. Yeah, that's um, pick and save and the the Kroger company, which owns pick and save in Metro Mart. They've done away with their mask requirements. Um, Jeff, I had COVID, haven't gotten a vaccine. I may get a vaccine down the road. I don't wear a mask at all. Did wear in some stores a long time ago, but then I left my nose uncovered. Well, all right. Jeff, I'm uncomfortable not wearing a mask in stores, particularly a local bookstore, because I don't want to get dirty looks. I was in said bookstore the other day without a mask and felt distinctly that the young woman working there did not appreciate it. Snippy impression, very short in what she said to me. Well, and I, and and again, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that that cuts both ways. I'm sure that there are people who are out there with the double masks on, even though it's not required, who are looking at, at people who are walking around without masks and they are they are skeptical of this or they're afraid or they want to move away. And similarly, I think that there's people who are walking around having been vaccinated, seeing those people walking around in the double masks that kind of roll their eyes and go, really? Bottom line is, I, I think it's a matter of, of individual choice. And as long as you're playing by the rules, CDC and the rules say if you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. As long as you're playing by the rules, I, I don't think you should be looked down on for making the decision to go and not wear a mask. That's why that's one of the incentives you had for getting vaccinated in the first place. Similarly, you know, and in that same vein, um, if you're 
again, you've got the person that's not comfortable being out in public without the two masks and the goggles and the gloves. That's okay. I mean, if you want to, you want to go out in public and that's how you want to live your life for the next several years, that's okay with me too. I don't think we should be judgmental of that. All right. I have to take one more break before the news, right? Have a break coming up. No, okay, I can take it for another two minutes. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, I am... Um, da, 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 da. Uh, Jeff, um, if you've been vaccinated, you have nothing to worry about. You're safe anyways. If you're foolish enough to not be vaccinated and you're not wearing a mask, then it's tough luck if you get sick. Well, I, I do think that there that's the argument that I've been making for a while. That's the argument that I was making before the CDC changed its guidance um, and said, look, because once everybody's had a chance to get vaccinated, at some point in time, if you make that decision that you're not going to, well, it's kind of like on your own. That That's assumption of the risk, and people get to do it. Jeff, um, I'm not reluctant at all. If this keeps up, it will never end. Wear a mask if you want to, but don't tell me to in order to make you feel better. Jeff, just like Lady Godiva was not worried about wearing her clothes in public, we should also not worry about wearing our mask in public. Well, no, I don't think you should. I don't think people should worry about wearing the mask or not wearing the mask. Jeff, I've been vaccinated and have not worn a mask since unless it was strict enforcement out of respect. I am moving on with my life. I don't believe COVID will ever be gone completely. Um, yes. Jeff, I have a friend who will not go to stores now because she isn't comfortable being around non-maskers. Me? Good riddance to the mask. I feel for many there is a small level of PTSD going on, so afraid of the what if that they can't move forward. And I do think that there's an element to that. But again, if, if that's how you want to be, that, that's how you want to be. That, that's okay. I don't, I do not mind people being cautious. You can argue that it's overly cautious, but that, that's all right. You get to make that decision. And if I see people in public that are wearing the masks, I'm not going to look down on them. I'm not going to be judgmental. But the flip side is um, if the rules say I don't have to wear one, I don't plan on wearing one. And I don't want people to judge me either. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Earlier this week, I had an opportunity to conduct an interview with U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. By the way, and, and I'm I'm one of these guys who has been encouraging Senator Johnson to announce his decision about whether he's running for re-election sooner rather than later. And he's pretty much steadfastly ignored that advice. He's kind of said, "Well, he's got his own timetable." And um, and, and my point has always been. Um, it is going to be if Senator John, well, regardless of whether Senator Johnson decides to run or not, the, the Wisconsin Senate race in 2022 is going to be perhaps the most focused on Senate race in the country. Well, why? Because it's the only seat in the country where it's held by a Republican and it's in a state that Joe Biden won. And, of course, Wisconsin is always, as a purple state, it, it can go either way. It, there's always that potential that's there. There's already a number of well-funded candidates coming out on the Democrat side, and there will be a very, very contested primary. My point is, from the perspective of Senator Johnson, I think that if he's not going to run, he needs to say that right away to allow uh, other Republicans to come forward and start building campaign organizations and start raising money. 
if he is going to run, I think he needs to be in full-time campaign mode, like starting about yesterday, which is, I mean, again, recognizing that this is going to be a heated race. So one way or the other, I think it's I think it would be advisable for the senator to announce his decision um, sooner rather than later. Obviously, if he's going to run again, the, the more delay you have, the less impact it has. Because if he's going to run again, the reality is I don't see him being challenged or not getting a significant – I don't think he'll get a significant challenge from, from somebody else. So then you don't have to worry about another Republican raising money or building the, the fundraising. Um, I, I do think it would be in his interest, though, because, like I say, given the fact that he's become a, a favorite whipping boy from the national left – and that you have, again, Wisconsin's going to be a, a very tightly divided state. I think he needs to be out there, you know, in, in again, in full campaign mode. The more I've thought about this, the more the more convinced I am that I think he's going to run again. Now, he has not, we have not had that conversation privately, but I think the more you hear him talk, the more the indications are that, that he's committed that he's going to run for a third term. And I think, um, if that is in fact the case, it definitely will make Wisconsin, uh, the, the Wisconsin Senate race will be a huge battleground. Now, there are going to be very contested races across the country. There is a very good chance that Republicans will take retake control of the House of Representatives. Historically, in the first term of the party in power, that that party loses seats. There's also in the House of Representatives a number of moderate Democrats who've already announced that they are retiring, and those will provide opportunities for pickups for the Republicans. Um, I mean, my guess is right now that, who knows what the world's going to look like a year from now, but my guess is right now the Republicans will uh, retake control of the House of Representatives. The Senate, it's 50-50. haven't quite decided what prediction I'm going to make on that yet, but it's going to be extremely contested. And a lot's going to depend on, again, how people perceive what the state of the country is and, you know, how people perceive the leadership of Joe Biden. Um, after the first two years of President Trump, it, it was just a bloodbath for Republicans. I mean, 2018 was a bloodbath for Republicans. I've said this before. I stand by it. I, I think Scott Walker is still the governor if it weren't for Donald Trump. I think in 2018, you know, you had the, the anti-Trump forces that were so, so mobilized that they were able to, you know, get people to turn out and, and vote against anybody who had an R after their name. And I think that's what ended up taking down is Scott Walker. I think he'd still be governor were it not for this anti-Trump thing. Well, now, you know, the shoe is on the other foot and it's going to be a different sort of reaction and a different election. But part of the reaction is going to be based on how people perceive the Biden administration to be doing. So when we had the conversation with Ron Johnson earlier this week, I said, OK, it's been, you know, it, it's been over 100 days. You know, we're now going on four months into the Biden administration. What letter grade would you give the president? And I don't know what I was expecting, but he immediately, without any hesitation at all, said I'd give him an F minus. And he ticked off a lot of reasons why he felt that was going to be the case. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, you get to play teacher. We are, again, going on four months into the Biden administration. So you've, you've had the euphoric stuff of, hey, Trump is gone, if you're of that particular persuasion. Hey, you know, Trump is gone, this is great. And, and now Joe Biden's faced with the difficult task of, of governing. There's been, I think, objectively speaking, some successes, and there's been some major league failures. So the question is, 
What letter grade would you give to President Biden? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll share my grade and we'll discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are about four months into the Biden administration. What grade, what letter grade do you give him? Senator Ron Johnson on the program the other day said uh, F minus. All right, let's start with Connie in Portage. Hi, Connie. Hi. Um, I, after I heard the F minus from someone I have no use for, I had to call in. I give Biden an A. And the reason that I give him the A is because everybody, I play Euchre a lot. Everybody I've talked to, we're so relaxed. We don't have to worry so much anymore. And for only being four months in office, he's got his plate full. He's got a lot to do. And so I think we should give him the first year and then ask how he's doing. When you say you don't have to worry anymore, what do you mean? Well, I was scared to death with Trump in office. He's the most impulsive, idiotic person I've ever met in office. I'm not kidding. And it scared me that he'd had his hand on the button any time he would do something drastic. And I didn't like the way he honeyed up to Putin and that, oh, I don't even know what his name is from North Korea. Okay. I just, just, we were all nervous wreck. So okay. do that's you think, just my opinion. Okay, all right. Thanks for call. I appreciate yeah. it. All right, now that that's what I'm asking. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. She said everybody is a lot more relaxed. Is is that really the case? I, and, and actually, I was, I didn't mean to push her on it, I, but I was thinking about, you know, what's been going on in the Mideast over the last two weeks. And I, I believe, in, in part... That is a I do not believe that Hamas would have done what Hamas did if Donald Trump was still the president of the United States. I I think this was a situation where Hamas seized an opportunity and they knew that the Biden administration, even though Joe Biden has been a decided friend of Israel over his entire career, but he understood that there were people on the American left who are not friends of Israel and that would be pushing the Biden administration. I don't know, not to pushing them to try to, um, again, rein in Israel's response. I was just thinking of that because I, I, I do, I don't believe Hamas would have done what Hamas did if Donald Trump was president. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What letter grade do you give President Biden on his first three or four months? Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Um, I would give him a C or C plus. And the reason why is because he hasn't done anything that, that makes me like stand up and applaud, but he also hasn't done anything that I think is catastrophic um, and so, like something that would slow down the COVID-19 recovery. And um, as far as the F minus thing goes, uh, I think that Johnson was out of line when he said that. I think he was playing partisan politics. And if, and all he said was that Biden hadn't done anything to bring the country together. Well, the thing with that is that, um, that's not something Biden can do overnight, and he can't just wave his wand and, and every, have everybody start getting along again. And then the other thing is that Johnson, some of Johnson's statements and some of the stuff that the other Republicans have done have uh, caused trouble with be- people coming together as well. Okay, well, I guess, and I, see, I appreciate that. I guess, I think what I was interpreting Senator Johnson saying is, and something that I would agree with, is that I think Joe Biden ran as 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 a centrist alternative to to Trump, uh, kind of a no chaos thing. I don't believe in any way, shape, or form he has governed as a centrist. I, I think he's taken um, a a fifty fifty split in the Senate and a very narrow majority in the House of Representatives, and, and t- 
taken that in an effort to completely and totally try to revamp this country with massive, massive spending programs, a, a revisitation of LBJ's Great Society or Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. I, I think, you know, you're, you're looking at, again, a, a redoing of American society where for the last 40 or 50 years, the, the question really was what John Kennedy asked in his inauguration, which was, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And that's kind of been the philosophy for, for years. That That's not where we are nowadays with the Biden administration. It's ask what your country can do for you, and, you know, we'll try to figure out a way to do it. And so I think that's when we, we talk about divisive, his style is definitely different than Trump's. And there's no question about it. And I'll be the first to admit that the the, the chaos theory, the the tweets at 2 o'clock in the morning and things like that, I think wore a lot of people down. Wore me down. It, it, it flat out wore me down. Um, I don't know that I believe Joe Biden has the mandate to do the stuff that he's trying to do, which would be a major remake of American society that, candidly, I don't think American society is not only, number one, not ready for, but, number two, I don't think American society needs it. I am concerned about a number of the things. I'm concerned about the uncontrolled spending that is going on and what that's going to mean for inflation. I understand when we talk about economic stuff, people's eyes glaze over. What, what do we care about inflation? But, I mean, here, here's the deal. If if your wages go up 3% or 5%, but the cost of living goes up 8% or 10%, and that's what we're very much afraid is going to happen when you have the government flood is pour money into the economy that that's a very very real possibility so even though people might say hey i before i was making 45 grand a year now i'm making 50 grand a year but if it costs you know eight thousand dollars more to maintain the same lifestyle yeah you've gotten a five thousand dollar raise but you're really not ahead i think that's a a major concern that is out there and i think the um i candidly i I think on the economy the the jury is very much still out about whether that works or not eight five five six one six one six twenty let's talk to scott in brookfield scott you're on wtmj Uh, hi jeff thanks for taking my call today hi um as far as President Biden goes, I would definitely give him a D minus, starting with the pipeline, saying we don't need to be energy independent, canceling the pipeline. He's definitely wrong on that. You're exactly right. That that is a that was a disastrous politically motivated decision that has put American energy dependence at risk. Right. The the, the Keystone Pipeline is what you're talking about. Right. I, I agree with you completely. That was a disastrous decision driven by politics, not policy. And he should have apologized to America for doing that since the whole colonial pipeline showed how important pipelines are. So it underscored it just recently. Mm-hmm. Plus the border chaos, creating the border chaos, um, not having any idea of, of if people are even healthy enough with this whole COVID pandemic that the people were particularly concerned about. You can't go to a ball game in Texas, but you can have – uh, unfettered border. It, it it was encouraging really inappropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. That plus he can't define infrastructure. Doesn't know the textbook definition of that. Infrastructure doesn't include everything, including childcare and. Mm-hmm. 
uh, no. changing. Um, right, that, and that, and that ties into what I was just saying about this this major reworking of American society, like a return to the the New Deal or the Great Society. And, and you're right, we're going to we're going to call infrastructure. Right, childcare, or 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 you know exactly. No, thanks, Nicole. I I, I think that that's fair. As you know, the border, I, I think, I, has has thing have things gotten worse on the border since Biden took over? And the answer is yes. I, I don't think that anybody can deny that. But at the same time, this has been an ongoing problem, and I, I don't I don't know that it's fair to say okay, we're going to give Biden F on this because while it's gotten a little bit worse, it's gotten predictably worse. I don't know. The problem is this this is an intractable problem, and I don't know what the solution is, and I think it's pretty clear that Biden doesn't know what the solution is. And I admit that the response where, well, we're just going to blame this is all because of Trump, that that's you got to roll your eyes on that. Clearly, just like I don't believe Hamas would have been sending rockets into Israel if Donald Trump was the president. I don't believe that you'd have as many people trying to flood over the border if Donald Trump was still the president. But because it's Joe Biden, they think that they'll perhaps be treated differently. So I think that's an evolving sort of issue. So what grade would I give him? Well, I, I, it wouldn't be an F minus. I mean, we're we're not in a shooting war. And I do think he is lead, helping lead us out of the pandemic. Now, hear me out on this. I, I think that Donald Trump, obviously President Trump and the Trump administration laid a lot of the groundwork for getting the vaccines in the development fashion. But, you know, they, they've been rolled out. And I believe by and large, while there were some rocky points at the beginning, I think the rollout has been relatively effective. And I think you know, Biden is wrong to claim, well, this is, you know, we, we came in and it was just a mess and we've turned this around. No, because I think we were moving in the right trajectory. But I, at the same time, I, I think he gets credit for that. And that was probably the number one issue that he was facing. On top of that, again, we're not in a shooting war, at least at this point in time. So I think he gets credit for that. The economic decisions, I think, have been disastrous and I think will continue to be worse if he continues to get his way. And that's something that weighs in. I think some of the foreign policy decisions have been bad. Would I say F minus? No, I wouldn't say F minus. Would I say, well, maybe a gentleman's D? Yeah, I'd say a gentleman's D. I I think that, yes, it is calmer. There's no question about it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. Okay, let me get a couple texts here. Um, Let's see, Jeff, I give him a resounding F. The only thing he has done is not screw up the vaccine rollout. We're about to see terrible inflation. He's putting our entire economy at serious risk. He's pushing us closer to socialism every day. It's the worst border risks we have ever seen. And we're on the edge of the war in Middle East. Um, Well, I think that there's a lot of those factors and a lot of those things are true. Um, Jeff, I don't have a grade for Biden yet. I'm not a Trump fan. I'm a Republican. But it is nice to sit down and watch the news and not have my wife go on a little tirade about what Trump is doing now. R-E-L-A-X for sure. And I think there, there is an element to that. I mean, I think there were a lot of people who who were worn down by the chaos. And I think that worked against President Trump. And right now, um, I, I think it's a more relaxed approach. Whether it's better or not, I don't know. Jeff, Biden deserves an F minus. He is for growing government and spending too much. Um, yes, I think that's the case. Jeff, everybody's style is different than Trump's. Well, I think that's probably it. Jeff, I agree with Senator Johnson. Biden has done nothing. Bombs are flying. Um, illegal uh, people are illegally flooding our borders. Money is flying out of the Treasury. The debt is growing. No one wants to work. I could go on 
and on. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, with the border crisis, I think he deserves an F. Well, I, I again, I, the, the border crisis is kind of like the Middle East. Um, there, there's no easy solutions. Um, Jeff, I'm not sure I can give Biden a grade as I'm not confident that he's actually doing anything. I think he might be being told by others what to do. Don't know. It, it, it is interesting to me that, again, Joe Biden's career, both as the vice president and as a, a senator from Delaware, was he would be what I would describe as a centrist Democrat. He is not governing like a centrist Democrat. Period. In any event, we will revisit this maybe after six months or so um, when we can all decide what grades he's going to get. The midterms are going to be coming up, and that's when the voters will get a chance to express their final answer on at least how well they think the first two years of the Biden term went. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I am curious how you think this should turn out. There, there was a decision came out this week by the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and it was it, it was a legal interpretation about what a particular state statute means about whether a case can proceed. All right, that that's all well and good. I, I, what's interesting to me is the facts, and and the bottom line is the court allowed the case to proceed, but that doesn't mean the guy's going to recover. I am curious as to and. It, if this goes to a jury, I'm curious as to what the reaction of the jury is going to be. So here's the deal. It happened at a, at a bar up in Sockville, 2014. So here's the deal. There, there is what they describe as an extremely intoxicated patron. Okay, so the guy is blind drunk. He's in the bar. While he is in the bar blind drunk, he punches a customer. Punches a customer. At which point in time he gets 86. The bartender comes up and says, you got to get out of here. And the bartender escorts him out. Boom. You're, you're out. Kicks him to the curb. Okay. So all is well and good. At that point in time, there, there's a number of other people, including a guy who's an employee of the bar, but he's not working. He, he's there with his family and he's watching the bartender throw this, this drunk who's punched somebody else out. So they've tossed the drunk out. And they've said, stay out. Well, a couple minutes after being tossed out and told to stay out, the drunk comes back into the bar after he's already been thrown out. At that point in time, the the guy who works at the bar but is not on duty at the time, he, he's there, you know, again, with, with his family. He sees the drunk come back in after he's been thrown out. So he goes over and he what he does is he, he says, look. You know, you, you've been thrown out of here. Now, he's not technically working. He, he's a patron. He says, you've been thrown out of here, at which point in time he puts his hands on the drunk's shoulders and walks him backwards to towards the door. So, you know, you can imagine that he's kind of like pushing him backwards. When the drunk reaches the few steps leading down the door. So like the door, you know, you kind of you walk up a couple steps to get into the bar. It's one of those sort of things. So the patron slash employee who's not on duty at the time, but, you know, he's in there, who's seen the drunk be thrown out. He's got his hands on the, the, the drunk's shoulders, and he's walking it back. You've been thrown out. You're not supposed to be here. Well, you can imagine. They get to the door where there's steps down, and the guy goes down. The drunk goes down the steps, you know, falls down a couple steps and, and injures himself, apparently injures himself himself. 
seriously because he's gone down a couple of these steps backwards. It, it's unclear exactly like how much force was used and stuff, but I, the, the sense I get is that he, he's walking him. He's walking him back. It's not like he grabs him and punches him, throws him out, but he's he's pushing him back. And the guy, probably in part because he's liquored up, but in part because he's getting marked backwards, he falls down the steps. Well, all right, the, the drunk person I'm describing is the drunk who's seriously injured from falling down the steps. He, he files a lawsuit. He sues the bar and he sues the guy who walked him out. And the Supreme Court had to grapple with this legal question about whether or not the the guy that walked him out was entitled to what they call legal immunity. Um, was was he, an, uh, given the fact that he wasn't working at the time? If the bartender had, had sort of walked him out in this fashion, he, the, he probably would have no lawsuit. Um, but because the guy wasn't on duty, he was just another patron, the Supreme Court says you can sue. You can go ahead and you can file the suit. Now, just because you can file a suit doesn't mean that you can recover. It just allows the suit to re- proceed. So, okay, so that's that's the deal. You've got the fact situation. You've got the guy. He's in the bar. He's causing a disruption. He throws a punch. He gets tossed out. He comes back in, and another, what is essentially a patron, but if the guy's also an employee, but he's not on duty, he, he walks him back. The guy falls as he's going out the door and hurts himself. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You're on the jury for this case. You're on the jury for this case. And the guy who I'm describing as the aggressive drunk, I mean, he, he suffered some significant injuries because he's gone down a few steps, you know, backwards and stuff. I'm sure he's legitimately hurt. All right, are you are you going to give him anything? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, obviously, in real cases, the facts are a little bit more complicated, but I've tried to simplify this. So you, you hear these facts. Guy gets thrown, guy throws a punch, gets tossed out of a bar, told not to come back in, comes back in. One of the other, in this case, it's a patron who's seen all this. Walks him back out, hands on his shoulders. The guy, as he's leaving the place, falls backwards, hurts himself. All right, you inclined to give him any money? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not too sympathetic. I'm not too sympathetic in this situation. You might be able to sue, but if I'm on that jury, it's an Ozaki County case. If I was on that jury in Ozaki County, I... I my at least initial impression would be, hey, you know, you're drunk, you're creating a disturbance, you're tossed out, you're told not to go back in, you go back in, and if you have an accident as you're being escorted out again, regardless of who's doing it, tough for me to be too sympathetic. How do you see it? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And, and I should add, the way I understand this story, when when the drunk comes back in the bar. And the employee, the off-duty employee, walks him back out. It's not like the off-duty employee starts pummeling him. It, this isn't—I don't think it's alleged as like an, an assault and battery where there, it's like a beatdown. It's like you put the hands on the drunk shoulders and you walk him back towards the door, and then he ends up going out the door and falling down the, the stairs. But it, it's not like hey, you know, you were beaten within an inch of of your life. But the allegations are are that you know when the drunk was being walked out back that. Out back out the door, that was negligent on the part of the off-duty employee. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Wisconsin Supreme Court says the case can proceed, but that doesn't mean you're going to necessarily recover. If I'm on the jury, 
I'm thinking, man, you're drunk. You're causing a disruption. You throw a punch. You get tossed out. You come back and you hurt yourself as you are being escorted out again. Tough for me to be too sympathetic. 855-616-1620. Let's start with um, Al in uh, Brookfield. Hi, Al. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Real well, thanks. What do you think about this? Are you sympathetic to the guy who hurts himself getting tossed out for the second time? No, no, I'm not. And I think about and I'm not an attorney, and you have more experience this than all of us. But, you know, imagine if you and Fran were there with your niece, okay, and, and you don't even work there. And this guy cre- creates a ruckus, and you feel threatened for either your safety or your family's safety. Do you then have the right to escort this guy out to protect yourself? And, and, and you know, in that case... Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing would be like the off-duty cops that are required to carry their their service revolvers, you know, even when they're off-duty. You know, if the guy had to escalate this and uses his weapon. So, you know, whether this employee was on-duty or off-duty is really irrelevant here. I think that the uh, the guy that got escorted out, you know, will probably lose this case. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, I don't think a jury would be too sympathetic. But I think it's the right of citizens to protect themselves and their families, whether they're on-duty or not. Yeah, no, thanks. So what's interesting, Al, is I don't know, I, I, and of course you don't, you don't have a trial, so I don't know at this, you haven't had a trial yet, so I don't know if the off-duty employee is going to say, hey, I felt this guy posed a threat, or I was just kind of standing up for my employer. So I don't exactly know how that's going to play out. But regardless, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am sympathetic to that, and I think a lot of people would be. You know, you're, you're in the place with your, you know, your wife or your parents or whatever, and you've seen this guy who's already been thrown throwing punches, and he gets tossed out and he comes back in, I, I think maybe the natural reaction of people is going to be, hey, we, we want you, <laughs> you know, look, we're, we're not going to let this get out of out of control anymore. Now, interestingly, the way I read the Supreme Court decision is if it had been the bartender who had done this, th- there probably wouldn't be a basis for the lawsuit because there would be a degree of immunity because the guy was trespassing. That's what the law would call him. The question that the Supreme Court had is if you're not an owner, if if you're not an owner, you know, uh, do you have a right to deal with the trespasser? Regardless of how that comes down from a legal perspective, I think it's going to be tough to be too sympathetic to this guy. Jeff, I would give him a ticket for disorderly conduct. Um, Jeff, uh, the bartender obviously overserved the guy, not very professional. Well, we don't know that. Um, you know, we we don't know that he we don't know that he was overserved in that particular bar. Um, you know, for all we know, he could have gotten drunk somewhere else. I don't know that one way or the other. But still, after you've been ca- tossed out from a bar, do you have a right to go back in? Jeff, I don't uh, think, though, any sympathy, nor should he have been, uh, I don't think, nor should they have thrown him out already when he came back in. He was continuing to be disorderly. Um, Jeff, not a dime. People have to be responsible for their own actions. Jeff, too bad the bar can't sue the the drunk. Jeff, the way I see it, the guy that he initially punched ought to be bringing a lawsuit towards him if that's the game that he wants to play. Um, Jeff, I wonder whether the guy can even recall what happened. Um, Jeff, if I'm on the jury, he gets zip. Have you ever heard of Ron White's tater salad about his story about getting thrown out of a bar in New York City? I love Ron White. Um, now, one of our other texters say, look, here, here, I mean, it, it's a problem. You know, you've got an employee, even though he wasn't working, who's pushing some drunk back towards the door. He should have known that something bad would happen. 
All right. Uh, well, that's going to be the argument I think the attorney for the guy I'm describing as the drunk um, makes. Jeff, too bad they didn't call the police. I think the guy had the right to escort the drunk out. It wasn't good for the guy to push him out backwards, though. Um, 855-616-1620. Jerry in Waukesha. Hi, Jerry. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thank you for calling in or answering my call. Yes, sir. I, I'm sympathetic. I would be one of them that would try to help. But I also believe that walking a man backwards down steps, whether he's intoxicated or not intoxicated, is not the right thing to do. So there should be, in my opinion, some liability on the person that was walking this man out. Um, okay, because... So uh, let me let me just let, let's work with this for just a second. So the guy's been thrown out. Yes. The guy's been thrown out of the bar for for creating a disturbance for punching somebody. He then comes back in. W- what do you? How how should the bar respond? What should happen? Well, it, if it was my bar, first of all, I would call the police and ask for help, and I would hold that person there until the police department got there. Okay. Um, I think that's the best thing to do because obviously. From what I understand, the person was hurt. Yeah, he was and, hurt. Uh, as a, yeah, and as a prudent individual, I wouldn't walk somebody backwards, even if they were sober, alone being intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. Well, that and that, that's what, of course, the issue is going to be. Yes, my understanding, and that's my understanding is he was he was seriously hurt, as you can imagine, if you're you know, going down backwards down a. Down, and it's not a flight of stairs, but I actually know this bar where this happened. It happened in a bar in Sockville, and it's it, it's it's one of these things where you've got a couple steps up to you know. Go, and I, my guess is he, he he fell down. My guess is he probably hit his head. I do not know how badly he's injured, but my guess is they're describing it as relatively significant injuries. Um, I guess the the question becomes, you know, what 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 ends up? Do you assume a risk? And when, under these circumstances, you are the guy that causes the problem, as the drunk did, um, the person I'm referring to is the drunk, you know, do you, and I guess I look at this and I say, look, what, what is it that, what is it that the patron did? Did the patron pull out a, a mag light flashlight and beat the guy with an inch of his life? No. Did he, you know, push him backwards saying you're not supposed to be in here and I guess maybe you can look at how much force was applied and things like that. But I, I do concede. I start with a bias against the guy who came back in after creating the disturbance in the first place. Let's talk to Zach in Waukesha. Zach, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, as a former bar manager, door guy, I told the, told the uh, mm-hmm. producer I did every job in the bar industry, Um you know, you, you, people are there to have a good time, drink, maybe they're get there to get a l- little loose. But when you get too drunk, they're going to be losing money. So you get, need to remove that guy. Right. Now, yes, yes, it's unfortunate It's unfortunate that he, he, he fell, but to be sympathetic, have you ever tried to handle a very drunk, aggressive person? It's like a toddler throwing a, a tantrum. They're flailing about there. It's super hard. You can't wait for the police. The police are going to take... Yeah, depending where where this was, the police are going to take six, seven, ten minutes to get there. And this drunk guys now people are leaving. Now people you don't want to leave, right? Are leaving are bailing, yeah. your your bar. Yeah, no, I mean it's a no, right. Thanks for now. Again, one of the things that's interesting about this is because because the drunk the guy I'm describing the drunk was classified as a trespasser. He's coming back after he's been thrown out. Um, 
if if it had been the bartender that did this, because the way the allegations are, they're, they're, they're not alleging, I think, that it was an assault. They're just saying that the way he was handled was negligent. Um, if it had been the bartender or the owner or an on-duty employee who had walked him out in this fashion, I'm not sure there would be a basis for a lawsuit because the guy was a trespasser and there would be immunity. In this case, and that's what makes it interesting to me, it's because it was another patron regardless of the fact that the guy was also an off-duty employee, but it was another patron who decided to intervene. One of the big pictures is, what does this mean moving forward? Does this mean that from a legal perspective, if you're if you're in a bar, if you're in a restaurant, and you see something bad happening, and, and you intervene, and the person who's causing the bad thing to happen gets hurt, does that now mean that, that you're going to be sued? And the answer is, maybe it means you're going to be sued. doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to collect. Anyhow, the, the, this case, I, it'll either be settled, or there'll be a trial at some point in time. We'll continue to keep you posted, because I think it's so interesting, also because it's something that you could see happening, you know, when you're when you're sitting at your corner tavern. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what John and Greg and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's afternoon news.